How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Welcome to episode four of Locked on Bucks presented to you by Brewhoop.com. I am Eric Name, and I did the intro this time. This is strange. Frank is here as well. Frank, how are you? Um, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm still in Las Vegas uh, it, because we're recording this on Saturday, so don't worry. I'm, I will, I'm not trapped here, <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully by the time people hear this, I will not be in Las Vegas. Uh, but uh, but I'm I'm doing fine, and uh, we just recorded. I'm told Eric just told me that our first podcast we recorded today was exactly 30 minutes. So yeah, that's that's, that's really good that's really us. a win. That's, yeah, that's a, win a win for for us. A win for brevity. So I'm <laughs> I'm doing well, and I'm excited to continue to talk about uh, some Twitter questions that we have. And I I've. You know, we're really changing everything here, Eric. We we we're on a new network. We're making them shorter, and we even have uh, outlines uh, yeah. in advance. So it's just it's just a whole new level of professionalism. Yeah, we're taking the next level uh, here. Yeah, on that topic, of course. Remember, uh, if you want to sponsor us too, as professional podcasters, now yeah. uh, shoot us a note. <laughs> we promise we will we will be super professional and and brief with your product <laughs> and or service. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I would crush so I a live read. I could do that easy. Yeah. You can do that. You're a radio. Eric's a radio guy. Yeah. I got Eric's this. A multimedia. Champion. I got this. Um, and I'm just sort of here and, and <laughs> hanging out. All right. Um, let's do so this. Let's go, let's go to the question. So, um, we've got some questions on team construction that I think are pretty interesting and kind of, you know, both about what the bucks have done and philosophically what they might do going forward not just for us this summer, but how they might play. And I think the first question is interesting, and we got a couple questions that were similar, so I'm just going to group them together. Michael Thomas asked, did we solve our shooting problem in free agency? And then sort of, I think, similarly in that same vein, uh, Tim Brever, Brever, Tim, however you pronounce your last name, I apologize, uh, writes, is there a need to adapt to pace and space philosophy with the rest of the NBA, or is there still potential success to be had living inside the arc? Which I think is an interesting question for, of course, a team like the Bucks. So, Eric, did the Bucks shoot their, solve their shooting problem in free agency? Or what are you thinking about this team, uh, given where they are right now, vis-a-vis shooting? Well, I, I would think it's improved. I don't know if solve is necessarily the right word to use. But I think if you have a guy like... Mirza Tladovic, he's going to take pretty much all of and maybe a few more of the threes that Jared Bayless did last year. Obviously, not the same position. I understand that. But in the same vein, if I'm going to take Tladovic and compare him to the guard, then let's take the big J-O-B and compare him to someone like Delhi. Uh, so you're adding threes there no matter what. Like In the net, however you want to add up threes, you're adding some. Uh, no matter no matter how you try to slice this offseason, you've improved in, in that ratio, let's call it. So you have that, and then obviously you're going to have some internal development with Middleton, Jabari, Giannis. I know last offseason, man, I honestly should just copy and paste this back on our website, but I wrote a piece that showed multiple ways that the Bucks could physically get Chris Middleton more threes. 
I don't think they used any of those ways. Um, so they would still be relevant this summer. Um, and I, I think for the most part, what we saw in Chris Middleton was an improvement in playmaking, which is great. And, and he became more dynamic in those regards and much better in those uh, in those areas. So that's great. But I think going forward, you'd want to see him become more of uh, – he's never going to be Clay Thompson. He's never going to take nine – 10 threes a game or whatever insane number the Warriors take but if you could get that up a little bit higher that's going to help out the bottom line and obviously as far as the Bucks ever becoming an elite three-point shooting attempts team to get into that top 10 if Jabari and Giannis are going to play 35 minutes a game they need to help out in that regard so if Giannis and Jabari can start shooting more threes then Maybe it is closer to, quote-unquote, solving the three-point shooting problem. But until they do that, you can only really win on the margins, again, which is great and helpful and good. But at the same time, if two guys are taking up so many of the minutes that you play per game, they would need to shoot more threes to really help that bottom line. Yeah, I think think that's the big point. I think you can solve some of it. Uh, in free agency, but you can only solve it so much. And and really, the the big question is is Giannis and Jabari improving organically and being willing to take and and make those shots. Which you know I think we mentioned in the previous podcast. You know the maybe they had a red light previously. I think that went away in the second half of last season, which was encouraging. Jabari, I think small sample, but but looked you know reasonably comfortable. And I think Jabari is the guy I would pinpoint as the guy most likely between Giannis and Jabari to uh, to hit threes with some consistency i know he had that you know comment that made me wince at the exit interviews about how he likes the the mid-range game um apologies there's a honking outside in the vegas parking lot i'm near here um <laughs> but uh but i think jabari you know he he's got a very repeatable compact shooting form he's always had touch you know those he, corner I threes think, look good he looked very comfortable from the corner. i think he will be okay um, and, uh, and then Giannis, I think is the bigger question mark, you know, Giannis threes are kind of like snowflakes, you know, everyone is kind of different and, and that's, makes me a bit worried. I know you were asking, um, about whether his, his base was a little different shooting threes yeah. with Greece, um, in the little qualifying tournament. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. Did you have any takeaways from that? I, I just, yeah, I took, I took a closer look at some of his from the second half and it's maybe a little bit different, but it's more of what you said that every honest three is different, just like a snowflake. And it's a cheesy, awful, uh, analogy, but I love it because it's so accurate. If you're trying to find a lot of, <laughs> I guess, some sort of pattern in Giannis's shooting, you'll probably be willing to convince yourself of it for about five minutes and then five minutes later you you'll convince yourself of something different and a new pattern and um until that becomes consistent i I think we'll continue to refer to it as a snowflake yeah and i think the the i mean it's a little bit separate topic but his free throw shooting as well he obviously had some struggles after the all-star break last year you mean he started off shooting very well last season you know, had this very long ponderous routine where he takes like three deep breaths and six to eight dribbles and, you know, takes forever. And, I, you know, I know old resorter from our comment section, you know, always sort of talks about like how he, you know, for consistency, like the good free, good free throwers don't do that. Right. Steph Curry, Clay yeah. Thompson, they just get into it. They don't draw it out, you know, whatever. Um, and I, for Giannis, I mean, maybe the argument he's trying to like catch his breath, settle his nerves a little bit, but I think, you know, I mean, 
okay, Carl Malone was a really long had a long routine and he was a good free throw shooter, but yeah. I think for the most part, you know, Jabari, I think he takes like one dribble and he's up and he's pretty good. Um, it would be nice if Giannis could kind of get to the same, you know, even putting aside the fact that what he's doing isn't technically legal uh, in an NBA game, but um, it, it's kind of an interesting thing um, to, to look out for as well. He, w- he was doing something similar um, in the Greek uh, qualifying games uh, a couple weeks ago, so no sign that he's changing up his, his free throw routine, so uh, we'll kind of see how it goes, but I guess the the other question that uh, that the follow up there from Tim: um, Do the Bucks need to become a high volume three point shooting team, uh, or or is it a little bit overrated to to say that you know everybody suddenly needs to start jacking up threes and you know you just got to add a bunch of guys who shoot threes? Oh, that's tough. Obviously, there is always value in zigging while everyone else zags, so that it does make sense to try to find whatever the next trend is that's going to be but essentially the way i look at it is good offensive basketball is good offensive basketball is good offensive basketball whether you're shooting threes or not shooting threes if you're scoring efficiently it doesn't really matter how you're doing it like if you're scoring however you want to break it down but high efficiency by whatever Again, there's a million different statistics you could use to track that. But if you're scoring the ball efficiently, it doesn't really matter how it gets done. So do they need threes? Well, I would have to counter, well, do they need threes to score efficiently? If they can do it without shooting threes, well, then no, they don't. They can score efficiently however it may be. And with that roster, there's a number of offensive players that are very talented and don't use a three. Giannis doesn't use use the three a lot. Jabari doesn't. Greg Monroe doesn't. And when they were on the floor together, they scored efficiently. So, again, you, you may be able to attribute that to, well, no one was really taking the Bucks seriously. They didn't really give them a true defensive game plan. They weren't trying that hard. And they didn't really care because they could score 115 per 100 possessions against the Bucks, And the Bucks could, again, score well at 108, but ultimately get outscored. So that's really the question for me. It, it, there's many ways uh, – to score the basketball efficiently, can the Bucks do it without shooting threes? Well, they kind of did last year. And some of those Giannis lineups didn't shoot a ton of threes and were very efficient. So I don't necessarily know that they need to add three-point shooting, but with the bench guys that couldn't really score efficiently, I would assume that would be quite helpful to add some some knockdown three-point shooters in, in, in that unit, I would say. Yeah, and just, I mean, in case people are wondering, I mean, that basically their three-point attempts were more or less flat from pre and post all-star. So there wasn't any kind of dramatic change, although you know, kind of part of the, the issue there after the all-star break was, you know, Jared Bayless was kind of in and out of the lineup yeah. and OJ Mayo obviously was, was gone. And he did start to shoot three a little bit better in the second half of the season before the kind of, you know, bizarre household accident or whatever that, that uh, broke his ankle. So, um, so yeah, I would agree. And, and I think, you know, for me, I, I think, shooting threes has kind of become shorthand for modern basketball when I think there's a lot more to it. And I think when you look at the Warriors, you know, the thing that the Warriors did under Steve Kerr that they didn't do before, and, you know, they were a great defensive team under Mark Jackson. They were, I think, like 11th or 13th or something like that in offensive efficiency the last year before Kerr came in. And, you know, there's a story that when Kerr came in, all they worked on initially was basically passing. And... That, to me, is kind of one of the underrated aspects of what makes the Warriors so great is 
their cutting and passing. And obviously, you know, having Seth Curry, Seth, having Steph Curry and Clay Thompson as guys who can just shoot, you know, with a moment's, you know, a split seconds of hair of of open space and and be able to knock down shots. I mean, that's obviously the ultimate trump card to have up your sleeve. But they they also are really good when they have Sean Livingston on the floor and he doesn't shoot threes at all. So I think that passing and cutting, um, you know, cutting is something that I think the Bucks young guys are, are very good at. Uh, you know, screening is another thing. You know, it, all of this sort of gets to execution and and shooting is obviously sort of the payoff of execution and it helps with spacing and makes you better able to do other things like having room to you know pass and cut and do other things but i think uh there's a lot more to it and i think if the bucks can you know become a very good passing screening and cutting team i think they're already kind of getting there a little bit with the cutting piece um can they but can they get there from a passing and unselfish standpoint i think that makes up for some of the lack of three-point shooting and i think you know, as you said, they were good offensively with Giannis at the point. They were really good with Giannis at the point offensively, and that didn't necessarily require having a bunch of three-point shooters out on the court. So I think they can kind of, you know, talent finds a way, uh, and I think yeah. that that's something that that we'll see. As, as um, I say, especially offensively, talent finds a way. Like if yeah. you have a number of talented offensive players, it it will just work. And yeah. the how many threes you shoot, how many post-ups you have, how many pick and rolls you run, that doesn't matter. Talent will just figure it out. Yeah, and just quickly on on the topic of pace. I mean, we talk about we, we normally talk about space, less pace. Um, you know, the pace uh, pace is is kind of a tricky stat because a team like the Bucks obviously should run right. A team like the Bucks, and, and one of the reasons, I mean, that their transition uh, points after the All Star break were went up a lot in part because they made such an emphasis on pushing the ball off misses, getting the ball to Giannis, having him try to get out in the open court. Um, and that's really important. And to me, that that is a you know transition scoring versus um, opponent transition scoring, like th- those two numbers, and hopefully having a positive differential there. That's much more important to me than having just a high pace number, because just playing at a fast pace isn't really necessarily like a great thing. All Hello, the time. Philadelphia. Yeah, you know you can't you can't just run your way to a positive point differential, right? Because it, it works both ways. Um, so I think that the important thing for the Bucks is pushing it in transition. But, you know, be mindful of fact. If you've got a team that doesn't have a ton of three-point shooters and, you know, Giannis, let's be honest, when Giannis is handling the ball and it's off a miss, or sorry, off a make, he would often walk the ball up. You know, the stuff in the in December and January where they were talking about MCW trying to get the ball across the line in three or four seconds every time, Giannis wasn't doing that. You know, he was resting in some yep. ways when he would bring the ball up. So they would get in their offense pretty slowly if they weren't running. So I think you also have to factor that in. And when you don't have three-point shooters, it's generally going to take you longer to get into your sets. It's going to take you longer to get good shots. You know, if you have a post guy, you know, it's going to be a little bit more ponderous to try to get stuff. So don't use pace necessarily as the best measure as an all-in-one sort of way to measure whether the Bucks are playing at the right tempo because again tempo off misses tempo off makes can can be very different things and your personnel kind of makes you know one thing um you know make makes it maybe difficult to, to always be going fast um if you don't have a ton of three-point shooters so just yeah. wanted to add that no as I say I remember asking uh Jason Kidd about you're trying to push on makes as well, or at least it looks like it. And you mentioned that MCW and he said, yeah, we need to get over by 21. So yeah, like you said, three seconds. And I, I continue to 
desperately plead with anyone who does stats for the NBA to give me the number with when point guards are crossing half court on average um, because that's that's pace. Like the best point guards in the league, Chris Paul is probably beating 21 almost every single time, whether that means he's letting the ball roll to him at the three-point line and then just picking it up and then doing it, whether that means he's pushing immediately – Elite point guards get it up that quick, and, and I think that's the, another step in Giannis's development as a point guard. Um, ultimately, I know no one's going to give me that number because NBA teams probably covet that number very much themselves and probably have people that run that one because it is Im- so important. Um, but, yeah, it is always something to focus on when the ball actually crosses. And like you said, with the Bucks, it's so important because they're just so not necessarily limited with offensive options, but scoring twos is – a little bit more difficult than scoring a tough three like the Warriors would do. All right, so the next question we have, we've got a cluster of three questions here that I'm going to kind of put out all together, and then we can kind of kind of go through them. And they're all related to the Bucks big man rotation. So um, Mike Shafty Bro, uh, his ever-changing Twitter handle here, uh, he asks, who starts the most games at center? Um, over under 250 minutes for point center Giannis. Um then Bucks Nation asks if Monroe isn't traded, does Kid convince him to come off the bench? And then the kind of the other leg in this question set of questions uh, from Sam McAdams asks: Do you think the Bucks will re-sign Plumlee at this point? Why are they waiting so long? Are they just planning to match? Um, I'll just hit up uh, the Plumlee thing first. Uh, the Bucks, I think, do I, we have indications? Yes, the Bucks do want to bring back Miles Plumley. They do want to sign him for a multi-year deal. Uh, obviously, if the number didn't come back where he wanted it to, or you couldn't get another team to give him an offer sheet as a restricted free agent, he could take the three million dollar qualifying offer. But it doesn't appear the Bucks actually want him to do that. They would actually prefer to find a number uh, where they could keep him longer term. And I think we've mentioned previously, you know, Cole Aldridge signed for three twenty-two. Festus was what at like eight and a half million per season, yeah. something like that. So I think those are pretty good benchmarks for a guy like Plumley, and I would certainly have no problem with them signing him for, um, I, you know, my personal preference would be two or three years. Uh, you know, he's twenty seven, yeah. I think. Yeah. So especially as an, a guy who's a, who's very athleticism based, I probably would rather not kind of go full four years because of that, uh, and also because you have Thon kind of laying in the you know, in the tall grass here as a potential yeah. option as, you know, a rim rolling big guy, you know, two, three years from now. So, uh, you know, but again, uh, but the question is always, like, well, can you get him at it? You know, if you can get him for four years at a really great rate, then, you know, hopefully he's an asset at that, at that price. But, you know, personally, I'd, I'd rather kind of do two, three years rather than, than, than a longer term deal. Um, and, and so kind of taking the other, the other pieces of that, um, if Greg Menor isn't traded, his kid convinced him to come off the bench slash who starts the most games. You know, for me, I don't know how you feel about it. For me, I think if Monroe's on the team, then, you know, he may not be the ideal starter. I, I believe the ideal use of him would be as a bench scorer. But I think if he's on the team, he's the guy that I would guess starts the most games. I just, you know, Plumlee and Henson are kind of so similar and, and are so, you know, clearly willing and used to coming off the bench. <laughs> That I think Monroe just seems like a more likely guy to uh, to to get some starting, you know, get get the starting nod, and it may not be 82 games, but um, but I just feel like that would be the kind of easy way out to, to appease him and sort of keep the locker room, um, you know, good. <laughs> yeah, no, if he sticks around, 
I guess the thing that makes this question interesting is the all-star break and the trade deadline and kind of that midpoint, which is a little bit more than a midpoint of the season. If at that point the Bucks can move him, you would think they probably would. Um, but up until that point, I assume he starts the majority of those games. I, I think, again, I don't know if he is the ideal starter, like you said, but the, the, Giannis, the Giannis post-all-star lineups with Monroe – were effective offensively obviously the entire team had struggles defensively um but i thought there was like two weeks where Plumley was dunking everything and he was getting all these alley-oops and i thought that kind of colored people's perceptions of the post all-star lineups where it was like man Giannis and Jabari are just so much better offensively with Plumley, and he's doing all these good things and that just nece- just wasn't really the case. Like it was true for those two weeks, and even at that point, it wasn't necessarily completely true. Um, and and I thought a lot of people kind of ran with that that Plumlee's the option and he's the guy, and Monroe is garbage, and, and that just wasn't the case. So I would assume he's the starter as long as he's here. Um, where it can get interesting though is I, I think the next step with Jabari is helping carry second units. So. There's a lot this Bucks team could do to try to help them in that process. And it's kind of interesting that they have four guys that can do it. They have Monroe, they have Middleton, they have Giannis, they have Jabari. And those other three have kind of proven that they could carry a, a heavy offensive load. Jabari still has some improvement to do there. But it's kind of interesting to think about how they could do that with second units, how those combinations work. And I guess the tougher part is that those second unit minutes is kind of a time where you could get Monroe some of his minutes to make him feel a little bit more appreciated, get him some more time on the floor, but you're also trying to get Jabari to grow in that same scenario. So it's tough to play those two together. We've learned that from last season that defensively that doesn't really work, but how do you get Jabari the reps he needs in that situation, but also kind of use that as a way to appease Monroe and get him shots, get him opportunities and get him minutes. So there's a ton of interesting things the Bucks could do in those second unit minutes where you're staggering guys and trying to find different combinations, but there are also questions there. So it's just going to be interesting to watch how they try to do that. Yeah, and adding Toledovich as well um, kind of creates another dynamic. I think last year, you know, we thought of it more as like, oh, how do you try to limit Jabari and Monroe together? And if you still have Monroe and then you've added Toledovich as yeah. well, um, I think that just. I think that does become uh, become kind of tough, um, and I'm, I was just trying to pull up the uh, the numbers. I mean, I, I, I think to be clear, I mean, Plumlee lineups were good after the All Star break, and I think yeah. they might have been better than than Monroe lineups. But I, I I agree that like Monroe lineups were still pretty good, um, and it got a little messy at the end of the season when you know some of the you know they basically didn't have any other point guards available, and you know Rashad Vaughn was starting, and it got kind of got kind of weird. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, as far as, and I guess the, the question you know, specifically, will, will Monroe be willing to come off the bench? I think it's tough. I think, I think, you know, again, he's a pro. I don't think he's going to, you know, pout publicly about it. But is he going to be as engaged? Is that going to be a good thing for the locker room? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I do worry that uh that it's not not ideal let's say that um and i th- i just think you know this is the time for I the don't. bucks to kind of move on i think and start 
playing and building the complementary group around Giannis Jabari Middleton that like you're going to play with. And I, I just think like what what is Greg Monroe going to do in the first half of the season that's going to suddenly create a market for him? That that's my that's my issue with you know if there's no market for him this summer, like as an expiring contract with a month left on his contract, you know in February, like he put up numbers this year too, right? Unless yeah. he becomes like a good defensive center or, you know, I mean, if the Bucks play better defense overall, then I guess maybe that changes the narrative a little bit, but I don't know. I just don't, I, I think, you know, you have to be, if, if you go into the season with Greg Monroe, I think you just assume you're going to keep him, and you're certainly not going to get more for him. I think middle of the season than you are this summer. And we don't even know what they might've been offered, but presumably not that much. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tough to figure out again, I think in general, I think it's tough to figure out NBA value at any point because I, I know there's some other questions here that I think we'll get into in later pods about who has more value between MCW and Monroe. And, and there's all sorts of just strange things when it comes to uh, NBA value and kind of how that all works out. Um, but yeah, it, I just don't... I also think that the reaction to us saying well, I don't know how good of a situation it would be for Monroe to come off the bench. I don't know how cool he'd be with it. I think the reaction is, well, maybe he should be better, and then he wouldn't have to come off the bench, and maybe he should learn how to do these things. And the immediate reaction is to want to blame Greg Monroe, and it's it just, again, kind of a thing that's upset me throughout this whole process is everyone wants to blame Monroe for everything, but it was really the Bucks pinning hopes on him doing things he's never done before that – got them in this situation well it was it was well maybe he can kind of be like Zaza and play defense well he's never done that before and again all all of us Bucks fans were hoping for that as well which we should have like you should be hopeful about players and you should want them to be better but that just wasn't who he was and it just leads into like an endless cycle of Greg Monroe's the worst and he's a terrible person and he's hasn't lived up to his contract <laughs> and all this stuff and it's just for me it's just frankly kind of annoying like i get it that's what being a fan is about so like i'm not going to tell people not to act that way but i'm just not going to participate in effectively calling greg monroe a bad player because it's just not the truth like it's not his fault jabari's as bad as he is defensively like that that's not his fault that's just how it is and jabari's the future and he's not uh just some data i just pulled up lineups after the all-star break for for reference i think really interesting thing and this gets back to the you know oh do the bucks have enough shooting do they need to have tons of shooting to be effective so after the all-star break you know granted these are all you know modest sample sizes but the bucks top eight lineups all but one of them averaged 108 plus points per 100 possessions so that seems they were and the only one that didn't Average 98 points per 100, and that was with MCW. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the only one with MCW in the top eight, and that was terrible offensively, terrible defensively. Um, so sorry, MCW. Um, but you know, seven of the eight had Giannis as uh, as the point guard or point forward. Sorry, I just violated my no referring to Giannis as a point guard. It's uh, a silly rule, credo. But uh, but Giannis being the initiator after the All Star break they scored a ton of points, right? And with Monroe, the biggest lineup, the lineup with 250 minutes with Bayless and Monroe, um, in addition to the big three, they scored 111 but conceded 111. That was with Monroe. Um, the Plumlee lineups were were better. They averaged 111, um, conceded 102. Um, that was with Mayo. And then with uh, Bayless, 
uh, and Plumley, they were at 109 and 93 allowed. So that was a really good lineup. Again, those are smaller samples, 118 for the first one, 54 minutes for the second one. So, you know, kind of like, all right, what do you, what exactly do you make of that? I, I don't know. I mean, the Mayo-Monroe big three combo played 30 minutes and they were allowed only 82 points per 100 and scored 108. So, I mean, that you was get the one. That, that's the one yeah. they should have brought back. Yeah, so you get into a lot of noise. Um, unfortunately, OJ Mayo is not coming back to anyone, alas. But uh, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't, you know, and that kind of again such that, especially with Greg Monroe. And, and I'll say this too. I mean, if you lose lose Greg Monroe, um, uh, that is a loss, right? If you just dump him for nothing, you know, he's a productive NBA player, right? And and the Bucks were not, you know, as much as Plumlee kind of fit in well after the All Star break. You know, in the grand scheme of things, replacing all of Greg Monroe's minutes with just all Miles Plumbing minutes or all John Henson minutes doesn't like magically make you a better team, um, and and could very well make you worse. Uh, you know, especially if you could find a way to 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 make the most of Monroe, as we were kind of discussing. So, will be an interesting um, thing to watch, kind of kind of going forward. And I'm trying to see, did we? miss anything else so who starts the most games I, yeah i think we both agree monroe and i guess the other question do we think we'll see 250 minutes of point center Giannis last next year it's kind of hard to even judge this because if they had monroe henson and plumley it's like you, you almost have no room to put Giannis at, at center uh but i don't know do you think we're going to see more of Giannis at center i think we only saw like 30 or so minutes of it last year no <laughs> all right that's it that is that wraps up uh, our line of questions here on uh, the Bucks' big men as well as uh, the Bucks' scoring prowess from three and whether they need to to hit those. And we've got uh, a number of other questions. We are not done with our recording for the day, but we are done with uh, with this episode. I think so. Thanks for listening again to the Lockdown Bucks presented by Bruhu Podcast. It rolls off the tongue. Uh, please subscribe via iTunes or via our whatever RSS feed you use for a podcast. And we will be back, uh, knock on wood, tomorrow with another podcast where we're going to hit up some other questions um, and maybe get into some uh, predictions potentially as well. Well, that's we'll see. scary. <laughs>